This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Excuse me. But the three things we're going to do is we're going to share for a minute from Proverbs chapter 31. And then I'm going to read you a chapter from the book I'm working on. Yes, you'll have to indulge me. Uh, don't be afraid. It's not a very long chapter. It's not like the, the novel I read you about Anton. It's much shorter than that. And then we're going to do something else that I'm not going to tell you about right now, but you get to experience that in a few minutes. And, well, four things, I guess, because after that we're going to come back in here for about two minutes. Okay? So... Mother's Day, you know, focusing on moms, ladies, grandmothers, it's a special time, special day. We all should be grateful for Mother's Day for the fact that motherhood is a thing because you and I are not here if it's not for motherhood, right? We don't have a chance at life if it's not for motherhood. And Proverbs 31 is the chapter in the Bible that probably is most commonly gone to when you're discussing godly women, mothers, wives, a lot of great Uh, descriptions in there of what makes up a godly woman, what makes up a good wife, what makes up a good mother. But usually when preachers or teachers uh, talk from Proverbs 31, it's further down into the chapter than than we're going to be today. It's down into those parts that talk about how she's more precious than rubies and all those kinds of descriptions, which are cool, uh, metaphors and similes. But we're going to deal with the first nine verses. Do we have those put on screen? We're going to deal with the first nine verses, which are actually, it starts out by saying these are the sayings of King, King Lemuel. But it's an inspired utterance his mother taught him. So this came from his mother. All right, so let's just read through it, and then we'll point out three lessons I think we can get from it, and then we'll move on. Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Have any mothers in the room ever just desperately tried to get your kid to listen to you and you struggled to make that happen? Yeah, that's a pretty common thing in raising kids is you feel like you have some good information, some answers, some direction. You want them to listen to you and it feels like you just can't break through. Well, three times here, she says to him, listen. So I think maybe she's had that little bit of that experience with him, but she's really knocking on his noggin saying, hey, I need you to pay attention here. I have something important to tell you. You are the answer to my prayer, okay? So it's evident that she has prayed for this child. This child has been uh, given to her as a gift from God, and she values and treasures. And because of that, she wants him to go the right way. She wants him to do the right thing. So she's still investing in him. She says, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. 
Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So she teaches him a couple of lessons here which are relevant to all of us, even some thousands of years later. First of all, she says, don't get mixed up with the wrong people. Again, I'll ask you a question. You ever kept company with some people that you really knew there was potential it wouldn't go well and that there could be problems, but you did it anyway, and sure enough, the problem showed up, right? It's an age-old truth that it's a mistake to hang out with people who are going to drag you down, people who are going to have a negative influence on you. This is especially applicable to the young people in the room because those of us who are older have pretty much weeded out the folks that we don't be, want to be around by now. You know, it's like, no, I don't have no time for that. Uh, you know, I, I just don't, I, I'm just not going to get mixed up with those folks anymore. Some of us, as we get older, we don't learn, and we continue to do that, but most of us probably have moved past that. But for the young people, it's a powerful lesson. It's hard to get through here to them about it, right? Because they want to be part of the crowd. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted. And they will compromise because they don't understand compromise. They will compromise their benefits, they will compromise a good pathway for the sake of fitting in with the crowd. But his mother is saying to him loud and clear, don't hang out with the wrong people. And I just ha I have to focus specifically on her instruction concerning women, and that really, you know, we're talking about the opposite sex, so it's not just men thinking about women or boys thinking about girls. It, it's a two-way street. Listen, y'all, it's just a plain mistake to get mixed up with somebody of the opposite sex who doesn't have the same values you have. Who doesn't, you know, if you have faith in God and they don't, leave them alone until they do. You say, well, I'm going to help them get there. Probably not. Because statistics will show you that the vast majority of young people who are Christians, who are believers, who get mixed up with a non-believer, end up getting dragged down by the non-believer rather than be, them being able to pick up the non-believer, right? Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Don't get mixed up with these folks. They're hard to find, but there are still some good, godly young people out there. Okay, I told my kids all along, still tell them, listen, if you decide you're going to get mixed up with those folks, with that kind of person, I'm not going to disown you, but I will not support you. I will not support you in what I know is wrong. And not only will I not support it, but I'm going to work against it. You're going to, be, you're going to have an enemy in me against that relationship. But it's also about friends, people you hang out with in addition to people of the opposite sex. 
I'm not going to get into drinking wine and beer, whether or not that's going to send you to hell, whether or not it's a sin or any of that. What I am going to tell you is, is that people who carry on with a lot of foolishness, let them go do it. You've got more important things to think about. You have more important things to do in life. God has called you to a better purpose than that, than just sitting around out in the yard or sitting around in the party places and all that, wasting time, wasting money, talking a lot of nonsense, behaving stupidly because that stuff has gotten the better of your brain. Right? Just leave it alone. It's not worth it. And then the third instruction she gives him, which is my favorite, is look out for the poor. Look out for the needy. Look out for the less fortunate. Look out for those who are weak and vulnerable. And you know that's our heart as a ministry, is that we love to engage with and to be to befriend and to have come in as part of our family and us become part of their family. People who are destitute or people who are searching, people who are confused, people who are needy, in whatever sense you, you want to think about. Whether that's financially, whether that's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, they got all kinds of brokenness in their lives. You know, it, you know, I often say, if you feel like you're not wanted, well, you're wanted here. Because that's actually the kind of people we want to fill up the chairs in this room and to fill up any and everything that we're doing. It's people who need something we have to offer, but then there's a reciprocal to that is that when those folks come along, inevitably they're going to have something to give as well that's going to bless and benefit your life. It's not like, you know, a certain groups up here looking down and they're the givers and everybody else is the taker. No, this is a two-way street. You involve yourself. I heard, I heard one person say a few years back, if you want to find God, go look for the poor because God hangs out with the poor. Right? So if God hangs out with the poor and you go to the poor, what are you going to find for yourself? You're going to find yourself some God, right? It's a cool thing. It's a powerful instruction. So these, these instructions come from a mother to her son, and I coined it this past week, I coined it the spirit of motherhood. It's the spirit of motherhood to cherish the child that God gave her. It's the spirit of motherhood to give instruction to her child for his or her benefit. It's the spirit of motherhood to try to protect her child from the schemes and the lying voices and the distractions and the wrong information that's coming their way in life. It's the spirit of motherhood to love and to nurture and to provide for. So I want to read you this, um, this little chapter that I wrote for the, in the book that I'm working on. It's called Clothed with Dignity. Cars, Clothes, and cosmetics. Did y'all get that? Clothed with dignity. That's a phrase that comes from Proverbs 31. And the subtitle is Cars, Clothes, and Cosmetics. <clears throat> the myriad of reactions says it all. I have seen women gasp, cover their faces with their hands, and sob like babies. 
I have heard them scream and watched them dance like maniacs on the parking lot. Some have fallen to their knees and spoken in tongues. Others have stood wide-eyed and trembling with their mouths hanging open. Inevitably, there will be lots of hugs and high fives and many, many tears. Few things in life generate the range of human emotion that erupts when you give someone a car. It happens when that teenager is called out to the driveway under the pretense that help is needed to carry in the groceries. She walks out grumbling, aggravated that her session on social media was interrupted, complaining that her younger brother is not called away from the video game he's been playing for hours, but that she has to be the one to do the work again. But everything changes when she steps off the porch and sees a car that she's never seen before. Parked behind her mother's minivan with a huge red ribbon plastered to the top of it, everything changes. Her body's chemistry is instantly altered, resulting in an influx of joy, a volcanic eruption of positivity, and an explosion of love for everyone, including her little brother. A shiny symbol of her impending independence dominates the landscape before her, and life is suddenly very, very good. If you are wondering why I would dedicate a chapter in this book to giving away cars, just hang on a minute. You may have never considered the medicinal qualities of a Nissan or the emotional support that exists inside the cabin of a Volkswagen. When you get into your ride and head out to wherever it is you're going, you may not have thought about how much different your life would be if those four wheels were not under you. If you were walking or riding a bike or depending on public transportation or forking out gobs of money for taxis or rideshare trips. If you've never considered how much a car enriches your life, you should. It might help to spend a few days with someone who needs a car but doesn't have one. The challenges are astronomical. Consider Amber. She had done so many things right since making the life-saving decision to give House of Cherith a chance. She had committed herself to, step, to the steps in the process of addiction recovery, had been honest with her counselor and case manager, had exercised diligence as a student in the vocational training program, and had obeyed the rules. She graduated as a shining example to other residents of how to do the program the right way and was now making a livable wage at a good job. She had been reunited with her children, something naysayers had guaranteed would never happen and was now functioning as a loving and responsible mother. Amber had made so much progress and was gaining confidence by the day. But inside, she lived with a sense of restriction and hindrance and she didn't really comprehend why. At City of Refuge, creating environments and platforms for the perpetuation of self-worth is one of the most important things we do. Of our four core values, passion, excellence, dignity, and integrity, it is the gift of dignity that feels the best and seems to have the most personal effect on the people we serve. Shame, humiliation, and low self-esteem characterize nearly every lady who comes to live at Eden Village or House of Cherith. If they ever had a sense of dignity at all, 
It has been buried under layers of disappointment, rejection, fallout from bad relationships, or just plain bad luck. In many cases, dignity is nowhere to be found. It is sometimes manifested in their unwillingness or inability to look you in the eyes, tears that show up when nothing seems to be wrong, or an aversion to social interaction. At other times, loud obnoxiousness, bullying, and angry outbursts rule the day. All of the above are attempts at masking insecurities. The word empowerment is sometimes used in ways that bother me, but there is inherent beauty in empowering a person to feel good about herself. Compliments are good if spoken in the right way, but are easily misunderstood or can seem shallow and contrived. Rebuttal of self-criticism may be helpful for a moment, but the condemnation will return if circumstances do not change. Understanding this fact leads us to one of the keys to changing negative self-perception. Change the circumstances. Prayer, counseling, verbal encouragement, group therapy, and lots of hugs are all valuable ingredients in the recipe for hope, healing, and confidence. But something else is needed. My gosh, let's give them some new clothes and accessories. Access to a fantastic beauty salon, a little makeup and a few pieces of jewelry, and, well, maybe a car. As it relates to providing practical assistance to people in crisis, nothing shaped my thinking more than a dark blip on America's history radar called Hurricane Katrina. In late August of 2005, the Category 5 storm struck New Orleans and the entire region around it, taking 1,392 lives and costing $125 billion in damage. It changed America's landscape, both literally and figuratively. Thousands of families evacuated, and it is estimated that approximately 100,000 individuals migrated to Atlanta to stay. They arrived with the bare essentials, and sometimes not even that. In the aftermath of Katrina, City of Refuge became one of the largest collections and distribution centers for goods donated for victims of the storm. We had only been at the location on Joseph Boone for two years, and most of the warehouse space was still empty. Large sections of the buildings quickly filled up with donated clothes, shoes, hygiene products, household goods, toys, bottled water, and many other items. We were able to assist thousands of people directly and thousands more indirectly through dozens of other agencies that came to us for loads of stuff. Overwhelmingly, the most common item donated was used clothing. In times of disaster and crisis, people rushed to their closets and dresser drawers, purging their wardrobes to help those in need. It is a two-way blessing. The donor gets rid of a lot of stuff they are not using, and the recipient gets stuff they need. We were happy to facilitate these processes, but the response was so overwhelming that we ended up shipping containers of donated goods to Haiti after the demand was satisfied. It is absolutely appropriate to give away used clothing, shoes, and other necessities to those who have nothing, especially when sudden and unexpected disaster strikes. However, in the methodical daily process of rebuilding broken lives, there is something powerful about giving things that we would purchase for ourselves, giving things that are new with tags still hanging from them, giving things that are fashion current, 
Better yet, to allow ladies from which everything has been stolen, including their self-worth, to walk into a brightly lit and modern boutique to shop for themselves, to take their time and choose the items they really want, and to have to pay nothing at the counter is transformational. To set appointments for them at a classy modern beauty salon and to allow them to choose their styles and colors gives them a feeling of ownership over their own bodies and appearances and establishes their importance among the general population. These are the reasons we partner with Fabric, a designer clothing boutique and Van Michael Salon, one of the most popular and trendy hair salons in Atlanta, to provide those doses of dignity to our ladies. Most of our residents arrive with everything they own in one or two garbage bags, and the items are inevitably old and dirty. You can be sure that they do not want to change from the old and dirty things they have on to the old and dirty things that are in the bags, but it's all they have. When they are told they will be able to shop and pick out a few outfits, I'm sure their expectations are low. After all, the homeless are usually treated to the leftovers, but leftovers are not what they get here. They are escorted down the back hallway and arrive at a door with a sign that reads, Free Fabric. And when they step through the door, let the party begin. Women have been known to fall to their knees in shock, squeal and jump up and down, burst into sobs and indiscernible groanings, and so on. Because women are women, and women think a certain way about these things, after gathering themselves, the next thought is, but I ain't going to look right in these new clothes with this hair and no makeup. That's when they learn that the Van Michael Salon is right across the hall, and their first appointment has already been set. Suddenly, you see a gleam in the eyes that wasn't there before. The chin starts to raise in confidence. The gait is no longer a labored drag from point A to point B, but a purposeful stride toward the next oasis or hurdle. Dignity begins to settle on them like a warm and well-fitting cloak. It was Amber's turn. Dozens of times, City of Refuge and House of Cherith staff members had gathered on the parking lot near the Napa Auto Shop and watched an unsuspecting resident or graduate stroll toward them, toward them on the arm of another staff person. I won't say they've been lied to, but they have been duped into believing they are being summoned to a meeting or some other decoy. But they are actually being set up for shock and awe. On this occasion, we had just finished a night of worship and a large crowd of attendees was invited to walk to the shop for a little surprise. Everyone gathered around a 2008 white Mercedes that had recently been donated. Some knew what was happening and some didn't. Amber was in the crowd of those who didn't know and was unwittingly poised to have much of the feeling of restriction and hindrance lifted from her shoulders. A car is an inanimate mechanical object without soul or spiritual substance, but it has, but it has the power to change a life. A car is a fortress against potential danger and a means to move through threats and obstacles. As a mobile shelter, it is highly symbolic and is capable of loosening the jaws of whatever trap a person is caught in. A car enables a person to escape the environment they are in and to move to one they wish to be in. Having a car is about having control of the things that are important to you. 
You can listen to the music you like. You can adjust the seat and temperature to your preferences. You can take your dog with you. A car is an extension of its owner, and the evidence is apparent everywhere, from the flavor of drink in the cup holder, to the fragrance of the air freshener, to the settings on the radio, to the announcements and statements displayed on bumper stickers. It is a rolling storage unit where you can keep your stuff under lock and key. It is a place where you can cry, curse, sing, pray, worship, and do so without fear of interference or judgment. It is an absolute joy to witness the element of transformation that results from blessing some with, someone with the gift of a vehicle. <coughs> it is a move that dramatically increases their independence and autonomy. It gives them opportunities for financial security by expanding employment possibilities. It grants, them, grants to them a level of control that did not exist before over their own situation. Restriction and hindrance become freedom. When Bruce pulled the title to the car and the keys from his pocket and called Amber's name, she rocked as if someone had bumped into her. It was a jolting physical reaction that reverberated through the throng of spectators. She doubled over and began to weep, as did many others in the room. It always happens. You see, it's not just about the car or the beauty treatments or the fashion. It's about a boost in self-worth and confidence. It's about breaking barriers and building momentum. It's about a mom being able to buckle her kids into the back seat of her own car and head off to take care of her business. It's about dignity. So we're going outside, everybody outside, out front. So I wanted you to come back in for a couple minutes for two reasons. One is so the moms would not forget to get your gifts off the off the stage. Secondly, so we just gave Nathan a car, and I do not want Nathan to be burdened in any way by receiving this gift. So when you give this morning your tithe and offerings, or any time in the next few days if, you, if it takes you a minute, I'm raising some extra money so that he will have the money to go register the vehicle, get a tag for it, and get his insurance going. All right, so that he can use his money to start putting gas in it, maintaining it, and all that. But we're going to cover the cost. If I don't get but $20 in it, I'll cover the rest. We're going to cover the cost of him being able to register the car and to get a tag put on it and to get his insurance started. So I appreciate you keeping that in mind as you give. With that said, it's been an awesome day. I've enjoyed it. hope you have too. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed, and you all can go hang out with your moms the rest of the day. Father. Thank you for this time together. Uh, we consider this family to be a huge blessing from you. And we pray for all the moms in the room, the grandmothers in the room, that you would just bless them extra special today, pour out your love on them, surround them with people who love them and cherish them, and that you would bless um, our church family, that we would continue to, to uh, be a benefit to this community as we worship you and as we serve others. We give you thanks for all this in your name we pray, amen.